You're now listening to a podcast about a movie you've definitely seen. The world's favorite, I think they call it. It is Knowing 2009. Yeah, and we're definitely encouraging you to see this. Hey. Too. Hey, we're going to litigate it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I I really like this movie a <laughs> so lot. I. And not, not ironically yep. at all. So, yeah, maybe this is like a, what is it, snobs versus slobs? Or, and, and, and you can decide, folks, who the slobs <laughs> are and who the snobs are. Or, or maybe Jake liked it. I don't know. I haven't gotten any vibe that said that Jake liked it so far. But <laughs> I haven't actually asked him what his opinion is. He started dunking on it pretty hardcore yesterday when he was when he was watching it. Like he was texting me some silly, some funny texts about it, which you know weren't undeserved. But I really like this movie. Yeah, me too. <sighs> anyway, why are we talking about uh, a why little are known we talking about it? Nicholas Cage thriller from the late oddies. Two thousand nine. 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep, 2009. Everybody remembers this movie. Booyah. Yeah. Well, we thought it would be a good companion piece to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And Ben, I think this is this was your suggestion. It was. And what would you like to explain? Well, is spoilers uh, spoilers ahoy ahead? You know, if, what do you want? Gosh, that's a good question because people won't have seen this movie and they the only won't. thing that's really interesting about this movie is how it ends is how it ends that's right so why don't we talk about it for a little while first mm, we'll have a spoiler I'll, section i'll do the best i can then i mean it is about existential dread i guess that's the commonality it's about a dad who's trying to find purpose in the universe and that's the main commonality with close encounters of the third kind and about people who have been given numinous extra knowledge that's right. le- leading them towards Something. Whatever's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. now they have to know. And now they have to know. So that, that really is, it really does have that in common with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That right. is kind of, that is the, the drama of it. Yeah, it's um, sort of like Close Encounters meets Final Destination. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. In the best sense of <laughs> two great, two okay tastes that go great together. <laughs> I don't love peanut butter. I don't love chocolate. But you put them together, man. <laughs> you got a Reese's cup. I wasn't. Being critical is just, I, I <laughs> no, think, that I think that's very much I, I the... Think, I think Jake's, I think that's fair. No, I think that's fair. Or, but, or signs meets yeah. final destination. Mm-hmm. But you combine that with some quasi-religious hokum, with some... Uh, that's why signs. Yeah, with mm-hmm. some, yeah, I guess signs yep. has plenty of quasi-religious hokum. But yeah, this movie is even quasi-religious Hokier, hokier. <laughs> than, absolutely. Than science. It, yeah. yeah, quite a bit. I mean, this movie's going to have explicit references to the Book of Ezekiel, in particular, oh, yeah. all kinds of stuff. If if you ever watched a creepy Trinity Broadcasting Network special on angels and demons, and you know the the different heavens and the different earths, but it's more like it's more like your you know History Channel, National Geographic. What if the angels we've all known are aliens or you know what if the apocalyptic literature is about an actual you know apocalypse but it's given to us in code by aliens right i guess that national treasure sort of vibe too right i guess we're i guess we are full spoilers now well we just heard some you just heard some beeps actually Oh, because <laughs> we're not quite full. The, the power of post-production. But, but I think people have the flavor of this movie. Yeah. And if you want to see Nicolas Cage giving a very, f- f- by his, by the standards of internet memory, 
where people have some for some reason decided to despise Nicolas Cage, a very buttoned down, good good Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. where he runs around trying to follow the numbers and solve all these mysteries. Which Nicolas Cage hate is stupid. It is like Nicolas Cage is actually good. We Watch should have a whole section just talking about that. Nicolas Cage hate is stupid. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I think okay. that'll be one of the first yeah. threads we pick up because I love Nicolas Cage. In fact, yeah. in fact let's just get so. We have to talk about spoilers. There's no way to talk about this movie without spoilers. I was trying uh, to think of it, but I, I if if you want something that okay, so just to, should people see this movie before listening to the rest of this conversation? I if 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 it's your flavor of movie, you'll love it. If if what we are talking, what we've said so far sounds intriguing to you, I think you might really like it. It has some very realistically portrayed disasters. If if you don't like seeing what a plane crash might look like or a subway crash it's you know if you don't like sort of people on fire burning 911 kind of stuff that makes reminds you what that was like in a visceral way you might run into some trouble with this movie and mm-hmm. you're you're not going to get behind every, everything that it does theologically or anything like that mm-hmm. if what we're talking about sounds like a fun time at the movies and if you have a tight creepy tolerance because it is it's not i wouldn't say it's a horror movie but it's certainly it plays with horror movie stuff it's yeah, certainly it's got, got a some... lot it's got some pretty creepy scenes so yeah but I, I i i would basically recommend this movie and so you can pause this you can go watch it and then you can be like thanks a lot or thanks a lot uh-huh. and listen to the rest of the podcast where we litigate it ben sounds like that's what you would say what what's what i would say like should they should the, are are we are giving this movie like a go watch it? I I think basically, yeah. You got to have the creepy tolerance. You got to have the violence tolerance. But if you do, if, not, if, it, if you like mystery thriller type movies that have science fiction elements, <laughs> okay, it's not violence like I'm gonna kill you and then he punches the guy no, and the no. guy goes into a, a blade or something. It's it's violence like oh that's what it would be like if a plane crashed or it's, it's, yeah it's got some pretty horrible disaster scenes right two of them. Which, which for me is maybe it's just that I'm desensitized to the diehard school of violence, for better or worse. But for me, this kind of violence is actually more visceral. But also, it doesn't make me feel bad, or or I feel bad in tune with how I should feel. Like, oh, that's horrible, and the movie says it's horrible, and I think it's horrible, and we all agree it's horrible. As opposed to John McClane's just beating that guy to death, and it's aw- supposed to. The movie's telling me it's awesome, but <laughs> I don't know if that's actually awesome. <laughs> Yeah. You know, Jake. Yeah. Recommend or thumbs up or thumbs down or can't decide. Just have to have the discussion. Just have to have the discussion, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, there you go, folks. You got two yeses and a maybe. Do with that what you will. Now let's talk about the movie. So where do we want to start? Do we want to get into the Nicolas Cage of it all? Why not? Sounds like an easy thread to pick up. Sure. So, Nicolas Cage, hate is stupid. Jake, expand on that. I just think the reason it's just so arbitrary that we like Jeff Goldblum and we like Keanu Reeves and we hate Nicolas Cage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, the guys with a shtick and a little bit of personality and, you know, there's this thing where it's like, we've caught on to the shtick and we figured it out and either we hate you because we've caught on to it or... We've decided it's cute, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> it's just stupid. 
Yeah, I don't know I don't exactly know. why the internet turns on certain people and doesn't turn on. It's fun. It's fun to turn on somebody and bully them. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I get that it's it's fun to hate things. And Cage isn't in a classic like Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not in it. Pick the movie that is beloved that he actually. I mean, he won an Academy Award for a movie I've never seen and probably never will, right? Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody's like, oh. It's not beloved. It's no. not the movie of your childhood that you go back to. No. Jake, I mean, every year on Christmas Day, what do I do but get up and turn on uh, Face Off? <laughs> you know? <laughs> buddy, and that explains why you And that explains so why much. John Travolta and Nick Cage are so beloved today. <laughs> yeah. He wants to take his face off. Uh, they're actually both really fun in that movie which no one should ever watch it's a very violent movie but this is gross yeah i i just like nicholas cage i mean he is kind of my childhood actually i do have that nostalgia for better or worse i mean i'm not claiming these movies are great or that our audience should watch them but i grew up with the rock i grew up with con air con air Conair's uh, one I haven't seen. Conair stinks so bad. It's it so stupid. I have worthless. no desire to see it. It is the most redneck movie ever made. There is. We were so close to getting Tim Burton's Superman oh, with Nicolas Cage, starring Nicolas Cage. I'm really happy that might have changed I... my whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I'm actually happy I never saw that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, 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 where is I'm Jake surprised that, that you're actually happy that you... <laughs> Nicolas Cage's Superman. I imagine I... you could go to that area of the multiverse and jake's like in an alleyway drinking and he's, his life has just been destroyed <laughs> oh, superman return set him on one path but nicholas cage's superman just broke jake altogether <laughs> yeah it's very possible i i'm sure that nicholas cage's superman would would be a movie that re-ran constantly on tbs yes it would have the, the same glory as batman and robin well, it would have the same glory as miss Peregrine's School for the is it any Tim Burton movie? Oh, you yeah. know um, those movies are made to just run nonstop on TV. Dark Shadows. I mean, nobody saw that in the theater, no. but it's the kind. Of, it's a kind of cheap programmer that they can just put on, you know, huh. AMC on a Saturday morning, and it can just run. And, and you can, you know, nobody actually has cable, but you, 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 you go to your uncle's house for Thanksgiving or something, and yeah. oh look, it's <laughs> it's this thing, Dark Shadows for some reason. I mean, it, Dude, it my be... parents are finally dropping cable and they don't even have the internet. So they're like, we're done with, we're, we're done with cable. Please introduce us to this thing you call the internet and streaming. There you go. Your parents are wise. <laughs> <laughs> now, so Nicolas Cage, watching this movie, I was like, oh yeah, I really like this guy. I was just, I'm always, ha- I was always happy when he showed up as a kid. He, yep. he always made me happy. He always did something interesting. I mean, nobody's interesting these days. Name an interesting actor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can name good actors, you know, your, mm-hmm. your Damons, your Afflecks, but a guy who's just known for being eccentric, a, a leading man, I should say. You've, you've got your gold bloom, you know, you've got your people that can come in and give some color. Affleck's actually become more that in his latter career. Right. Even his Batman is actually more that. Yeah, yeah, and and, and like- his 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 runs with that dude. Uh, so his his movie about alcoholism, The Way Back, mm-hmm. is more that. His movie, The Accountant, he's an autistic accountant assassin guy. Is more that. Yeah, he's just autistic accountant assassin. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, actually, it's a very bizarre and violent comic book movie. But I don't know who else comes to mind. 
I mean, I like lots of people. I like Joel Edgerton, you know, just to name somebody from that world. I, yeah. I like Tom Hardy. I, I like lots of people. But I guess Tom Hardy is known for being eccentric. But Tom Hardy just feels like he hates you. You know, Tom Hardy's just like, I don't even want you to like this movie. I'm just going to mumble through it and <laughs> make make jokes that no yeah. one gets except for me. Yeah. Where, where Nicolas Cage always seems like... Benedict I, Cumberbatch. Yeah. He's but, one yeah. of those personality that... Yeah, yeah. Well, see... You both made, ha, had a reaction for a reason, mm-hmm. and it's the same reason. It's he's mm-hmm. got a shtick, and you figured it out, and you don't like it. And so, it, he at least hit, ticks that box. Yes. I, th- I think his shtick feels more schmarmy to me than Nicolas Cage. Well, I don't think that... I actually would argue that Nicolas Cage is a good actor. I don't think that he's a realistic actor. I don't think that he is a... But I don't actually think, I mean, I, I know it's easy to reduce Nicolas Cage to a bunch of screaming and a bunch of memes and you can cut together funny YouTube clips of Nicolas Cage and the Wicker Man saying, the bees, the bees, and all this kind of stuff that people <laughs> like to do because he, he has a certain register that he likes to go to. But there's good over-the-top acting and there's bad over-the-top acting and Nicolas Cage actually pushes things to a play. I mean, okay, let me just say this in the most pretentious way possible. He keeps pushing and pushing and pushing until he goes over the top and there finds truth. (laughs) You know, in other words, life is over the top. People are performative. People are expressionistic. And Nicolas Cage is one of those people. And I just always think he's in an old school, in in a very theatrical kind of a way. He is creating characters that that register as as human beings who are in some kind of weird mega artificial world you know i mean it's, i agree with that it's a difference between center uh, our favorite character in all of film emperor palpatine played by what's his face ian mcdermott mcdermott mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i'm sure jake knows yeah yeah uh that guy knows how to go over the top and find truth i mean not <laughs> profound truth but just like He's playing a gleeful evil guy. They exist, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. They don't look like that. <laughs> they don't act <laughs> like that. But he's he's in his theatricality getting to something. Right. Now you compare that to, uh, say, Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever, desperately <laughs> trying to go over the top. Yeah. But Tommy Lee Jones can't go over the top that way. Tommy Lee Jones actually needs to play a more realistic kind of down-to-earth Tommy Lee Jones kind of person. Mm-hmm. He tries to chew the scenery and it's just like, you haven't, you haven't found any truth. You haven't found a center for this character. You haven't, you haven't gotten anywhere with this. You haven't expressed anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's just lame. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we talk about when we say something's over the top. What we mean is it's, it went over the top and it failed. But there is such a thing <laughs> Star Wars is a universe that does it very well as going over the top and finding something there, succeeding. And I think Nicolas Cage takes huge risks and sometimes he just swings and misses, but he's always going to swing hard and nine times out of 10, he connects. And he is also totally capable of dialing it down for a movie like this. Yep. And then still having all this smoldering eccentricity, this weirdness, this, mm-hmm. you know, energy in his eyes and then he he knows exactly when to do a flamboyant gesture like in this movie at the end when the big thing that we still haven't talked about happens he falls to his knees yep and you're just like what other what what other actor makes that choice nicholas because because you could look stupid making that choice but Mm nicholas cage is willing to just take a risk and say let me do the theatrical version of this you know it's it's quite possible if you saw something like this you just fall on your knees but, but you know, Damon's not going to do that. 
he's just going to do it all with his face. You know, he's just, he's, he's going to, hmm. you know, he's, he's going to be subtle, which is great. It, it's what movies acting has moved towards because the camera picks up every little nuance. But, but I think that the world is a big world and there's different kinds of performers and styles. And it's fun to have somebody who is theatrical. And Nicolas Cage just specifically referenced German expressionism, you know, like Metropolis and Nosferatu and things like that as being silent movie acting as being what he really wants to do or Kabuki theater. Hmm. He'll say German expressionism or Kabuki theater. And I think if you think of him that way, like this is a silent movie actor who's who's forced to actually deliver dialogue because he doesn't live in that hmm. era. Mm-hmm. It's like he's a very effective physical performer. You know, you know exactly who Caster Troy is and uh, Face Off or whatever his name, the name of the nerd in The Rock is or hmm. the only thing you don't want from Nicolas Cage is for him to not take her like, you know, for like a gone in 60 seconds, Nicolas Cage. You don't want that because, mm-hmm. you know, he's just he's not taking any risks, but let's ride. Let's ride. <laughs> I remember it's another one I never saw. I remember nothing about that movie. I remember vaguely that Angelina Jolie is. I remember in it. a scene with Angelina Jolie. Yes, yes, I think I mm. remember. I, I don't even remember that really, but I remember that it exists, and I remember that she has a weird blonde mm-hmm. haircut, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I think Nicolas Cage is the best. Maybe is this true? Is he my favorite actor? Is that hyperbole? Yes, uh, he is my. One of my favorite actors, just in terms of, I know I'm going to be entertained by this guy. Maybe it'll be stupid. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll be subtle. Maybe it'll be over the top, but he's going to be interesting. You know, even like a national treasure, it's like, can you imagine how much more boring national treasure would be if you had just one of the, an Affleck Affleck or a Damon or a... Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to make it, sir. No, no, no. Nicolas Cage really does make those, nothing else makes those movies work. Yeah, there's nothing particularly interesting about those movies beyond a vague... I like the History Channel. Yeah, I like the History Channel. You know. I, I like History Channel after dark. Right, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it, it's fun to see filmmakers have the money to film in real capitals and stuff and stage goofy heist scenes and mm-hmm. junk like that. You know, if, if, if Sean Bean's going to chase somebody, you might as well have him chase them through you know, the National Gallery or something like that. Right. That's, I guess those movies have that. But basically, the only other thing they have is... Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is just mm. interesting to watch. Yeah. And I, you know, I guess Robert Downey Jr. is another guy who's like that, who just brings personality and takes risks. But he's got such a specific shtick. You know, he's always the sardonic mm-hmm. guy. Nicolas Cage can give you four or five different flavors of mm-hmm. of Nicolas Cage. I think earlier career Robert Downey Jr. could. I remember seeing his Chaplin biopic. Yeah. And he was pretty awesome. I wanted to see that. I, I've I heard it's really a go ahead. iconically great performance. It was a great performance. It was a great stuck performance. Stuck in a, a middling movie. Yeah, that's I what I was going to say. Yeah. I've never seen the whole thing. I've seen yeah. some of it on TV. Yeah. No, he was great in it. It's Richard Attenborough who has very stately tastes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's just a very by the numbers biopic kind of thing. And it's very much like, these are the romances and the scandals as opposed to, this is actually, let's actually dig into what made Chaplin. You know. yeah. yeah, that's true. The thing that a, that biopics strangely often forget to do is, what actually made Johnny Cash great? I mean, I know he had interesting problems with drugs and stuff, but like, why was he good? <laughs> is, I guess, There's an actor who can bring some personality. Joaquin? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. True. He's, he's really interesting. The nice thing about Nicolas Cage, I think, is that 
he had that career. He was just willing to take the money, which I actually like. Like his Bruckheimer period and his Disney period, he brought so much interest to all those stupid genre pieces that he did. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The Sorcerer's Apprentice, yes. <laughs> well, when you're the sorcerer and you're charged with finding the prime Merlinian. <laughs> who do you he want? He was fun in that movie. Who do you want raising he up the fun. prime Merlinian? <laughs> if not, Johnny Nicolas Depp. Cage. Joe. That's right. Johnny Depp. <laughs> the king of eccentric geniuses. Well, he started talking about the Disney Bruckheimer period and... Yeah, Johnny. Just leaning on an actor to have personality. Uh, well, we've got pirates. Pirates. You've got, and you, you've got Burton, of course. It, none of those are Disney. Alice in Wonderland? That was Disney. Or was it not? No, who, that was who Disney. Owned the oh, rights? Yeah, that was Disney. Okay. Yeah. Pirates was Disney. Yeah. No, I know. I, I was thinking of Burton's stuff oh, with okay. Depp, uh, which was around the same period. His Alice in Wonderland, his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. I mean, uh, Alice at least was, was Disney. Yeah, I mean, Depp is one of those guys who, especially in retrospect, just feels like eh, this is actually a party boy and a pretty boy who decided to put on eccentric costumes. There's nothing, there's no inner fuel to Johnny Depp's eccentricity, I don't think. I mean, maybe there is some, but it's more like, this is a guy that really likes Hunter S. Thompson and likes to be weird. Nicolas Cage just feels authentically weird in a way that Johnny Depp can't touch like Nicolas Cage playing a very buttoned down standard character in this movie that we're talking about today brings a lot of weird energy to it and makes a lot of just weird subtle choices with his body and with his eyes and stuff like that mm-hmm. like he can't help but be a little weird you know even, even just like his California kind of the drawl that he has the whatever that accent that's a kind of SoCal accent that he has is just just mm-hmm. a little weird man you know just brings a certain edge to it that where 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 your Johnny Depp seems very very I'm doing a character now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the closest to Nick Cage then from an older generation would be well, kind of older, Michael Keaton. Yeah, I've been kind thinking like about that. Michael Keaton as we've been talking. Yeah. And Michael Keaton's and, and Cage is one movie away from a font you know, from a Cage Assance, the way that, <laughs> yeah. the way that Keaton's yeah. got one. I mean, yeah. Cage, Cage's, the Spider-Verse was a step in the right direction. He just needs something that has his face that has that kind of, somebody, you know, he'll get mm-hmm. cast in the MCU. Some, somebody will think of a way to use Cage. That'd yeah. be great. That'll trigger nostalgia for all the, you know, people like us about our age. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that seems like Feige and company love to do, mm-hmm. you know. I'd be su- surprised if they hadn't already reached out. Yeah, what what you what you really ought to do is develop that um that yeah, y- y- Goldblum's character is like a brother or like in the same kind of realm as uh Benicio del Toro's character. Right. right. We need another a Nicolas and, Cage. And Nicolas Cage needs to be a, a, one of those characters. Yeah. That'd be cool. He Nicolas needs- Cage loves that stuff. By Nick, do you know where his name comes from? Cuz his real name is Nicolas Capola. He's in the Capola family. He's Oh, yeah. No, he's a nephew to Francis Ford and cousin to Sophia. And uh, I mean, he comes from Hollywood royalty. Wow. And he is just a weird Hollywood royalty kind of eccentric dude that's probably never had to work a real job in his life. I mean, that is part of where his weird Nicolas Cage-ness comes from. But he did not want to trade on the Coppola family name. I think he asked Francis to cast him in something and... Francis and just got silence in the car is the story. 
But then eventually he was in Peggy Sue Got Married, which is a pretty famous Coppola movie. But anyway, hmm. he changed his name to Cage, and that comes from none other than Luke Cage. He he wanted to be named after his fav- one of his favorite Marvel huh, superheroes or whatever. So he likes that kind of stuff. He played Ghost Rider, so he yes. he was he was in some terrible Marvel sh- pre Marvel Marvel schlock. Factor. They should pull Ghost Rider into that version of Ghost Rider into the multiverse. Yeah, that's actually you know that, <laughs> that would, would not, be fun. That, that would, would be not really shock fun. me at all. If if Feige's got his finger on the smart. pulse, which he which he does. He has to know Cage is due for a comeback. And if they could make that happen, they could actually get a lot of goodwill. Problem is nobody remembers those Ghost Rider movies with any fondness. But if you could create the narrative, Cage, we're, we're doing it right this time. Mm-hmm. We're finally giving you the unhinged Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider that you never knew you wanted. <laughs> then It would be really fun if he showed up as Superman in the DCU <laughs> multiverse. It <laughs> would be kind of awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I, I, I just—it uh, was fun to see Nicolas Cage again. I wished it made me wish he was in more things these days. I mean, I know he does like twenty direct to Redbox huh. movies a year. Yeah, what is with that? Yeah, I think he had tax problems or uh, wasn't wise with his money. <sighs> so he does a lot of schlocky B movies and hmm. direct to video type things, but. I've watched one or two of those, and huh. he never gives less than a hundred percent. I am. I'm now looking him up on IMDb to see what's coming next. What's coming next? Yeah, yeah just, we should uh, review his Left Behind movies. There's only one of those, I believe. Does he play Redford Steele? Yes. <laughs> Is that Kirk Cameron's character? Yeah. No, I think Kirk Cameron was Buck. Oh, you're right. What's the you're right. Guy? You're they, right. They 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 both have the most like. Oh man! I'm writing a '90s thriller really novel named Steel. I've a- I- I've yeah, actually no, seen the, is... the original Left Behind with Kirk Cameron. I've not only seen that; I've read five or six of those books. They not read or seen, not one second spent. So we are planning. Well, planning not as sanity at the movies, maybe, but we're planning to see Pig. Nathan and I are anyway. Oh yeah, sure. It yeah. looks great. Yeah, no, I will be. Nicholas Cage flick that just came out, more of an art indie film type thing. Yes. Gotcha. Not in our theaters, I will, unfortunately. I will wait until it's, you know, a cheap rental instead of a 20-buck rental or whatever it probably is right now. But, yes, I'm excited to see Pig. And my brother saw Pig. He really liked it. Uh, Nicholas Cage loses his pig and he's sad. Who doesn't want to watch that? I, I don't know. And the internet was like, ha, 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 ha. But the internet's dumb. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's just a good movie. It's supposed um, to be. You know who's not playing a truffle hunter who loses his pig? Matt Damon. <laughs> you know who's sitting in his yacht with the <laughs> surrounded by ladies surrounded and... by ladies and accolades <laughs> not nick cage <laughs> no he's too busy playing a truffle hunter who loses his pig i'm just not sure that matt damon would be willing to trade places with him <laughs> no no but who's going to be remembered more fondly Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does have Born. Yeah, um, he, he's got a franchise that made a mark. Well, that mattered. You know, you can't go to Washington D.C., which I do on a semi-regular basis, without thinking my, of National Treasure, without, thinking, without somebody being like, "I bet Nick Cage is in there scoping out the place." Or <laughs> <laughs> and anytime someone makes that, Nick joke, Cage can't go to Washington D.C. without everybody making a yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, be, be careful what mm. you what you wish. Matt what? Damon what? can't be. <laughs> I guess I should have let that slide, but <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> Nick's Nick Cage wished that he could be a national treasure. And he got that wish. And now okay, I got, I got it. Okay. I follow, he can't I'm walk around it. just like uh, Matt, Matt Damon can't uh, jump off a, a couple stories of a building without someone thinking he's going to shoot somebody <laughs> on the way down. You know? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> oh well. Well, I like Nick Cage. I guess that's the point of this section. Alex Proyas is the director of this movie. I guess we can talk about him real quick. He was born in Egypt uh, from Greek lineage, Greek parents, born in Alexandria, Egypt, moved to Australia, went to Australian film school, made some music videos, hit it big in Hollywood with a somewhat inexplicably popular piece, piece of goth grunge called The Crows, the, starring the late Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee. It's a pretty cool kind of MTV emo dark piece of schlock movie that people, I don't know. Did we all grow up with The the Crow? That's one of those ones that I remember seeing on TV a lot. I I saw some of it on TV, but even on TV, some of the, there's like the scene of them getting murdered or whatever. It's pretty Mm -hmm. gross. It's pretty like, Yeah, you have to live with. You just have to wallow in crap. Him being murdered and him, his girlfriend maybe being assaulted and dying and all this stuff. You have to keep going back. And then he's one of those guys that's so super powered. Like, he's back from the dead. You can't kill him. And so, all the ostensible exciting action scenes are just him murdering his way through a bunch of bad guys without even the movie even pretending like he could get hurt. So, it, it kind of lacks it, Until the end. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. Bad, the bad guy powers up or something. But Something happens. That is famous. I've said this on multiple podcasts, multiple places, and multiple times, but... The TV version has my favorite TV bad edit where they replace the dialogue or whatever, where the guy says, blue flipping stick. That's just a bunch of blue flipping stick. <laughs> and I really had to applaud the, the creativity of whoever was stuck with that piece of dialogue. Anyway, yeah. So he makes this this very MTV, very grungy, very visually arresting The Crow. And then he makes Dark City, which hits a year or two before The Matrix. And for for your real film nerd kind of nerd people is is the true late 90s sci-fi dystopian. Predicting the future. Predicting the future. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's getting... Tons of play right now. Tons of play right now. I've never seen it, but... It's one of those movies that I feel like is being constantly shoved in my face. Like, well, Dick, we're living day, in Dark City right now. Every day we go to sleep and the overlords come and they tune our reality and it's a little bit different when we wake up. So, I don't know. I don't know what connection that has to anything that's going on today. But Me neither. somehow people feel like it's resonant. Kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's yep. It's got some unfortunate, thoroughly gratuitous nudity, which makes it maybe not one to recommend, but... It is a classic. Yeah, it's pretty masterful stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. I mean, it is the the movie that The Matrix is sort of doing the popular version of. It's like it's just the raw and cut real thing. It's it's, it's more visual. I mean, it's more visually arresting mm-hmm. and beautiful and better put together than mm-hmm. The Matrix. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty great. But then Alex Proyas did iRobot, 
which I remember being a piece of garbage, but I remember it being a fun piece of garbage, one that I liked, and I I don't know. There's an actor who can carry a movie. Will Smith. Yeah. I, well, he is he is one of the I mean, I would watch iRobot again just because but the movie may be stupid, but Will Smith's not. He's fun to watch on screen. Yeah. No, Will Smith is He's fun to watch. He, he's one of the truly charismatic stars so far. Although I just think <laughs> He said that so begrudgingly. Well, specifically because I just I hate the idea of King Richard. I think it's going to be stupid. I just I'm, I I already resent the accolades he's probably going to pick up for that. I didn't know. Um I didn't know either. You didn't know he's doing it? No. He's doing it. Oh. King Richard being the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Oh. Oh, I did know Wait, that. Yeah. Wait, what? Sorry, oh, sorry. I had no idea what's yeah, yeah, going on. Yeah. I was in Shakespeare mode because, yeah, I, I mean, we, we were doing we're Hamlet, doing on, the Hamlet booking, yeah. on the booking. And the Joel Cohen black and white with Denzel. Macbeth thing. Macbeth yeah. thing. Just uh, like the teaser dropped. And so, like, I've got this. So, you said King Richard. My mind went to... Yeah, no, Will Smith as Richard III or Richard II uh, would be kind of be, interesting. Yeah, it's like, why? why you know? Will Smith as Hal is actually the obvious casting, although he's a little old for it He's now. old. Yeah. But no, he's playing Venus and Serena's father who, you know, always had a vision for how his daughters could be great and yeah, everybody else no. thought he was being abusive, but now they're the world's greatest athletes. And I just-, I just you, you know, already. the thing with, he's so smart. And he's been so smart in his career, but he's made some really, really dumb decisions. And he's not learned from Denzel mm-hmm. either, like in the way that he chases Oscar. Well, he makes the kind of dumb decisions that only a smart guy could make. Exactly. He, he, he's, he's, never, he's always calculating and what he doesn't know how to do or doesn't know when to do is take a calculated risk. There's no, yeah. He never takes a risk. Yeah. Um, and when he does, it's for something like seven pounds or, or just like. Mm. His 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 few the few times that he has really tried to stretch, it hasn't connected, and so I he, he, pursuit of happiness. Yeah, well, people like pursuit of happiness is fine. People like that one. I just don't like it. I guess I, I never bothered. I knew I would probably not like it, and so I just didn't try. But Pri- then Price does knowing in two thousand nine. I mean, Price has like four or five films, and one of them's by a robot. One of them's Gods of Egypt, which was. That's his la- last movie. Laughed out of theaters, famous colossal bomb. I can even tell you who's in it. I mean, I think it's maybe Gerard Butler. It's it's just yeah. one of those. He's the biggest star you got. I it's think a CGI schlock fest that was that just mm-hmm. that just died, never <clears throat> happened, and died. Got some some flack for not casting Egyptian act. It was, it was it was one of the first big like. Wait, if you're making a movie about Egypt, maybe you should cast some Egyptians. It's mm. it's also funny because he's Egyptian, at right. least by upbringing, and right. I don't know. It's just it's random. Yeah, I actually think um, you know I'm not Mister Representation or anything like that, but it's it's a fair criticism. If you're making a movie about Egypt, why not cast some Egyptians or at least some people from that? You know, let's we could do better than Gerard Butler. Let's put it that way. So, but he's made two masterpieces or two arguable masterpieces. Dark City. And knowing would be the other one if you wanna if you wanna say that. Roger Ebert gave the movie four stars and said it was a masterpiece, and then was shocked, blindsided. I'll actually read his. It's kind of funny. Roger Ebert before he died wrote a blog post about it. Knowing <laughs> Ebert, here it is, published March twenty second, two thousand and nine. Quote: Either I'm wrong, or most of the movie critics in America are mistaken. I per- persist in the conviction that Alex Proyas's Knowing is a splendid thriller and surprisingly thought provoking. 
I saw the movie at an 8 p.m. screening on Monday, March 16th, returned home, and wrote my review on Deadline. No other reviews existed at that time. Later in that week, I was blindsided by the negative reaction. And I mean really negative. Knowing is opening well at the box office, leading the weekend with an estimated $25 million. With a budget of around 50 that means it will be a moneymaker for some in entertainment. But the critical reaction has been savage. I went looking at the various online roundups of critical opinion. Of course, such averages mean little, but they give you a notion of how people are thinking. I usually don't pursue them, but this time I was fascinated. What was it about knowing that made it so hated? On Metacritic, got a 39 average. On Rotten Tomatoes, the meter stood at 24, and only 15% of the top critics liked it. On IMDb's user votes, the median was 9 out of 10, but the arithmetic mean was 7.7 out of 10. On MRQE, only one of 43 people, critics, agree with me. And then he says, this is astonishing. Let's suppose I was completely wrong. Even if I was, even if I was, how bad could the movie possibly be? Half as good as the slasher film Shuttle? As th- third as good as Last House on the left? Nothing else. It was a great popcorn movie. Yeah, it goes on. But yeah, that's what happened to Roger Ebert. He, pub- he thought the world would be joining him in praising... A splendid new, one of the best, I think his review starts something like, knowing is one of the best sci-fi movies ever made or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) He did not realize he was stepping out on a ledge. (laughs) Very thin limb. Had no idea. Yep, yep, yep. Let's see if there's anything else interesting. He talks about how people don't like Nicolas Cage and they didn't like the biblical overtones. That seems to be the, the consensus. So I don't know. I'm with Ebert though. Like I, I, I can understand someone not liking this movie or thinking it's a little cheesy or whatever. But, but the, the vitriol that this movie attracted, the fact that it is 34 percent. And I think the thing about Rotten Tomatoes is the thing you always have to remember is a movie is either fresh or rotten, which means if a lot of people were like, eh, the score can be 24 percent. And if a lot of people were like, eh, it's pretty good. This is what happens to a lot of Marvel movies. Yeah. It's not great, but I like it okay. Yeah. Whoa, 98%, you yeah. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Greatest movie ever. No, it just means a lot of people didn't find it. They found uh, it slightly above average or right. something, basically. Yeah. And, and so, a lot of actually really great movies will land somewhere in the 70s or 80s because they're provocative. They're risky. They're interesting. People either really love them or... They're just like, ah, that's, you know, I didn't want to watch There Will Be Blood or No Country for Old Men. It's just not for me, you know. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of times things that are later become canonical get lower scores. And so, maybe there's a little bit of that. A bunch of people were just like, eh, shrug. Still seems over the top though, right? Yeah. But 34% does seem low for a movie that's passably entertaining, obviously well made, and has a really interesting slam bang finish that you're not expecting yeah i wasn't expecting it yeah cool i mean i was at a certain point but i mean not for the majority of the movie right i mean you've seen i didn't expect we're in full spoiler mode yeah well Mm -hmm. let's just declare it full spoilers here on ahead folks when when mom died in the in the that was one i wasn't i didn't see that one coming yeah i thought we were gonna be Waving goodbye to the... At that point, I think I thought we were going to be waving goodbye to the kids Mm -hmm. forever and then embracing each other as the world ended or something, like, predictably. That, yeah. That. So, that was a a surprise. Well, it was part of the prophecy. That's what her mom always said she would die on that day. So, did everybody else. (laughs) 
No, but she died one day before. Oh, I that's think. right. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. She died yeah. on the day that her mom said she would die. Which is one day before the end of everything. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's a movie that follows its thread. Right. <laughs> to the bitter end. I guess we should just say, so there's probably some people listening who have no intention of ever watching this movie. Yeah. But they're still are listening because they like to hang out with us. So, somebody want to just go ahead and spoil the the movie for them? So, Nicolas Cage plays an MIT professor who comes in possession of... He's an astrophysicist. The movie opens with numbers and whispers and kids staring at the sun. (laughs) And she writes down her numbers and puts it in a time capsule. And then our astrophysicist... We flash forward to the modern day and our astrophysicist is out talking about, is there life out there? Mm -hmm. You know, with his son who is playing the sort of stock precocious kid. Slash mm-hmm. sort of these kinds of kids got a lot of play around this era, the solemn. Sort yeah. Of, yep. Uh, yeah. And then the, Nick Cage, the astrophysicist, cracks the code and realizes that all the numbers stand for dates and mm-hmm. coordinates for horrible catastrophes. And then there's one final one. And that one final one is an end it's an a, apocalyptic end mm-hmm. event. His dad is a pastor and who he's estranged from and his wife died in a fire and he does not believe in determinism. He thinks bad things just happen and there's no meaning at all. And we get a big college lecture scene early on. Yes. One of those. To let us know that that's the theme of the movie. College lecture yep. scenes. And, and the lesson that needs to happen. Has there ever been a scene in a classroom in a movie <laughs> where someone didn't exposit the theme of the movie? <laughs> nope. That's what it exists for. And man, those students, they, that's exactly how all of my college classes went, you know? Right. Well, there's, there's, there's one student that's going to rattle off the this side of the debate and there's one student that's going to rattle yeah. off this side yeah. and then there's going to be another student that's like professor nick cage what do you think <laughs> what's your character motivation right now <laughs> and then you get one of the classic nick cage moments where he just has a death stare into space mm-hmm. <laughs> for an uncomfortably long period of time as we're all supposed to as the music moves and we're all supposed to realize that he's now accessing his dark inner self Mm -hmm. and pretty fun as those scenes go so then the themes start to pick up of you know we move toward ezekiel and guardian angels and wheels and things like that we see little guardian angel figurines here and there and these creepy scary evil looking people that we get a lot of jump scares out of Shadowy figures, the whisper people, they yeah. they lurk outside of Nicolas Cage's house. They seem house to be talking to his son and... Trying to seduce him away or something or something. showing up in... And by seem to be talking places. to your son, his son, you mean anytime Nicolas Cage <laughs> turns his back, they walk up to his son <laughs> and start talking and start to, talking to him. <laughs> They show up out of nowhere. That's pretty fun. And uh, they're the guardian angels that are going to take humanity to... Uh, new planet a new world we know how many exactly how many worlds those are because the kid knows them from his you know we, he rattles it off early on in the in the movie so nicholas cage is rushing around over. trying to prevent disaster and then the he can't because yeah. final destination yeah the audacity of the movie the, the 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 thing that i love about the movie is they don't tack on some hollywood ending where well, we figured it out or it's, you know, or it's still We actually come. did figure out how to cheat death or 
No, it's just like right. It's what's what's fun is that Nick Nick Cage is in a typical action hero role. Like you figure it out and you stop it, mm-hmm. and like you solve it, and you use whatever tools. And so you've got Nicolas Cage chasing down someone, but but every it doesn't matter. He's just his job is to realize he's a cog in the machine, and to let his son carry on humanity. Mm-hmm. That's his job. Yeah, that's it. Why did it come to you? It came to you because you would put together that it was a solar flare, even though, you know, we... Everybody put together that it was a solar flare, apparently. Yeah, I mean... I don't think there's anything special he's, about he's, him. He's watching the news. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, when he's talking to Ben Mendelsohn, he's like, the government already knows, like, they just haven't announced it yet. He says something like... Yeah. Like, there's nothing special about the that's, fact that he figures it out. That's That's also a fun thing about the movie. Is they do, they just suppress him as an agent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you think you have agency, but really, and it's kind of where he comes. That's what makes the movie, as it goes, I think fun, is like the the romantic interest, the mother of the little girl who's also going to be included with Nicolas Cage's son and, you know, propagating the human race, is, is, is trying to do all the typical action movie things. Like, we're going to get to caves, like we're going to get the mm-hmm. kids, we're going to get to a cave, we're going to save our lives, we're going to survive, you know, like a Roland Emmerich disaster movie. Yep. And the movie is like, actually, and Nicolas Cage realizes this, actually, you're wrong, we don't have agency. We can we can hold on to the kids and try to see what's happening and if there is some purpose, but that is literally the best we can do. We are all going to die. That's it. Mm-hmm. Caves? Are you kidding me? It's a solar flare. You can't go deep enough. You can't carry supplies, enough supplies. You just die. But I'll pretend with you for a second that you have agency. <laughs> yeah. And just just so that you don't completely panic and lose your mind. And that's pretty that's pretty fun. I mean, realize- that, that whole stick was fun. Yeah, we can go to the caves. And he played it so that you knew that he was like, there's no hope, but we'll <laughs> we'll do it. And then yeah. when he figured out where they needed to be, yeah. It was, hey, you can get a mile deep and it's not gonna matter. Mm-hmm. There's only one hope. Well, these movies mm-hmm. that are about the choice between, you know, it's free will versus determinism, they always land on the side of free will. I mean, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is right. one of the only popular populist yeah. entertainments yeah. I can think of where it's like, nah. <laughs> I, that's more than anything why people hated it. I, I was going to say, yeah, that explains it. I mean, it. it just doesn't give them anything. No. But it, he does make a choice. He gets the, ch- he could hold his son back from salvation selfishly. That that is the choice that he has. Although, do you really think the aliens would have let him? They seemed pretty able to just deal with him whenever they wanted yeah, to. That's that's true. But at least he. I mean, they could open their mouths and just shoot light out of it yeah. at him if they want. But so, at least he yeah. gets to either be okay with. I mean, <laughs> and, and throw one of those rocks at him. I don't, know, I don't understand the rocks. <laughs> I yeah. think I think the rocks were nothing more than like the landing site or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but still, yeah. they seem to have uh, another spiritual. To, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give the rock to the boy. The and, smooth oh, stone. The, 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 yeah, the five smooth stones under her bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's got, it's <laughs> it's got, got a lot of biblical <laughs> stuff going on. <laughs> Man, it's so rich. <laughs> <laughs> so, But he, he has a choice whether he can accept, you know, if I could talk about it this way, he, he gets to either accept God's will for his life or or not. He can, yeah. he can fight against it that's or right. he can accept. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's he, right. yeah he, he can end with humility or bitterness. And I think the it is a genuinely actually moving ending like it 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 got me yeah you know i mean you see it coming but he he gives up his son he sobs he goes home to his estranged dad 
they all hug and then the flames blink away. through and, and consume the whole earth. Yeah. And one of the coolest and scariest uh, yeah. apocalyptic things I've seen. One of, one of the most unapologetic, one of the most actually, sorry, but it's kind of needed to happen is the flavor <laughs> movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, well, so it's about time. I'm sorry, but yeah. humanity it's it, in its current form needed to be just done away with. Earth needed to be cleansed. Mm. Sorry. And then just, to, a cherry on the audacity Sunday, <laughs> we cut to the kids on a planet running towards the tree of life. <laughs> to the tree of life. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. As, yeah. As these, I wrote that down. As these insane alien spaceships that look like wheels upon wheels yeah, fold up a, inside a, themselves and go back into space. Right. Yeah, I did think it was a nice touch that it wasn't just those two kids. Yes, yeah. that, absolutely. That, when when yeah. we see them go away and then you see all, actually there are dozens of spaceships. Right. And so this story is played out at various other points, right, around the globe. That's that was a nice touch. Yeah, there was just a, it there was, was a, pretty cool. There was a bunch of chosen people who were saved mm-hmm. from the fire, and right. there were a bunch of people like Nick Cage who weren't chosen. He never heard the whispers. I mean, as as just a blatant Hollywood allegory, allegory it. It's pretty effective. Yeah, a pagan trying to tell a Christian story, essentially. I mean, this is a much better Left Behind. I haven't seen Nick Cage's Left Behind, but I've seen Kirk Cameron's Left Behind, and I've read Jerry LaHaye's Left Behind. Mm-hmm. This is a better Left yep, Behind same. than any Left Behind I've ever seen. Yeah. it. I don't know. It makes you feel the inevitability of judgment. I mean, in the way a pagan would. Not a Christian, but still it gets you. It got me. Yeah, I don't want to make this movie sound more profound than it is, but I was just happy that it went there. I mean, you see like so many movies that don't go there and then this one's just like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to do it. And I thought that was really fun. And I can understand why people didn't like it. I can also understand why the people that did like it really liked it because it does have, does do the whole grand design of doom sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is just a dumb thing that I think movies do and people get confused about but the classroom scene mm-hmm. so it's 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 supposed to be about how it, well it conflates to two questions about the meaning of life mm-hmm. one is determinism like does free will affect things or is there just a chain of cause and effect that you can't break and you're caught inside it mm-hmm. that's one question and the other is purpose like is there is there any is there any meaning to life which is a totally separate question and not related right because it's not like you can't imagine a universe that's has a causal chain of events, and it's purely—it's just material. It's just stuff happening. Cells mutate, they grow, they die. There's no purpose. There's no meaning to that. That just happens to be—you're just caught in a chain of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. But there's no meaning. And this movie pretends that it's asking and answering the same question. But but the but the point would be <laughs> that there's a there is a design above you, like something that transcends you, mm-hmm. that gives your life meaning, which. Anyway, it's it's two separate questions. The movie puts them together, but it doesn't seem to understand that it's talking about two different questions. Right. It's just a little thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of annoying. What else is there to talk about about this movie? We're all over the map today. Ben Mendelsohn, director Krennic himself, plays Nick Cage's best friend. And Jake, you said bad casting? Mm-hmm. Because he plays so much like a guy who's on the inside and knows what's actually going on and is trying to suppress things. So, like... He he brings too much depth to his He brings character. too much. Mm-hmm. He can't just play the doubting. Are uh, you sure that wasn't just you bringing director Krennic and bad guy, like all his bad guy roles that he's played subsequent to this movie? I don't. And backfilling it's it. Pos- it's possible. 
but I really don't think so. I I felt in the moment when he brings the numbers for the first time to his buddy. Mm-hmm. I, you know what I thought was when we get introduced to Ben Mendelsohn's character and he makes his dumb PHWD joke and his mm-hmm. gay joke and whatever, I thought, okay, well, this is a different Ben Mendelsohn character. That's kind of cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave him the two jokes they thought of to write into the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Not a real yuck fest, this one. <laughs> no other humor yeah. in the movie, but we we wrote two jokes for Ben Mendelsohn. But then when he shows up, I expected to feel like his buddy was going to sort of, I don't know. But even how he sort of doubtingly reacts mm-hmm. makes it feel like there's something else going on behind his doubting reaction besides mm-hmm. the straight doubt of it all. And maybe some of that's just bad writing, but I don't know, I've... Mendelssohn had some of the weakest stuff down to yeah. his, his his last image, which I actually love, but it is pretty contrived where mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage just happens to drive past Mendelssohn and his And they look into each other's eyes and they for look a in, second. Like yeah. while, while the world is falling apart. I, 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 I love that contrivance. I mean, it is it is ridiculous. Well, the movie's earned but a, it's, yeah. the, the The movie is nothing but theatrical gestures at that point. And no. might as well just throw one, one more in there. That's right. It's, yeah. it's better than cutting to Mendelssohn's house or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, they're just standing as 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 the world burns and people riot and everything goes crazy and and we've got Beethoven's seventh, I think, playing on the soundtrack. And it's all very beautiful. Put buttons on everything. Yeah, that's what we're playing at the start to drown our sadness in alcohol and classical music. Mm-hmm. Now we're playing it. Got to see that present at the beginning. Got to see it at the end. Got to bring mm-hmm. everything pay off absolutely everything that was clumsily laid in <laughs> yep at the start <laughs> i don't mind I, I just don't resent its clumsiness <laughs> the um yeah. you and me together forever yep yeah um, yeah yeah his son is deaf just or, or has a hearing problem just so we can have a little moment at the end where they exactly each he other. has a hearing problem and the, the whole thing is like a lot of contrived feeling things that you don't i don't know you don't, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to forgive them all. I mean, every movie does stuff like this, mm-hmm. but it, certain aspects of them just felt way more contrived than they needed to be. Well, I think... It's like maybe too many things they're trying to... But it's all, it's all determined, don't you see, Jake? You know, you know, stupid... What's-his-face pulled that off way better. M. Night Shyamalan in Science. Where it all felt... He he might land it emotionally better in some ways. The water but, but man, and the bat and the stuff. When you think about signs for two seconds, it falls apart yeah. quicker than this movie. That I mean, That's true. Swing, Meryl, swing. The, yeah, that's I mean, it's true. It's really stupid. <laughs> it's really stupid. But it, in a weird way, it feels more, it, it communicates more of the vibe of. I get you. I, I hear you. Things just sort of like all are being pulled together from random corners instead uh-huh. of. A plus B equals C. A plus no, B equals this, this C. No, this movie is way more B like a math C. equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and, way more like a math equation. Yeah. yeah. And so it just has less artistry in the telling of it, I feel like, or less, I don't know. I mean, I would say, uh, my defense would be, I think they just stripped away everything that was extraneous. You know, the, there's not going to be a big romance. There's not going to be a bunch of colorful supporting characters. So if you're, if you're, if you, let it just work on you like a fable or something like that. It works pretty well on that level. And I think that is its chosen level. And I think it does a good job. But yeah, could you 
paint over all that stuff and do it more subtly. And right. Should they? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I mean, everything is obvious. All these little setups at the beginning. It's like, yeah, I recognize all this. You're you're using tropes. You're setting up a lot of things. You're not hiding anything. Yeah. But for some reason, I didn't resent it in this movie. And I I would have resented it if it had had if it and had guts to like follow something somewhere. Yeah. And, and yeah. Land the, it. The, I mean, the ending really does. If it, like make it work, it pays for it. It pays for its mistakes. Yeah. It pays for its weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Because the payoffs don't actually amount to all that much. And they just like tried to. Right. Well, we need something that his son and him can. We need it. We need a thing. And so we're just going to. Here's the line. Me and you together forever. And then we're going to have. Oh, and we're going to tie it to an artifact. Okay. To make it land. So let's use the present and the other thing okay, now we, you know, and it just sort of... Yeah, all of that stuff is kind of flat. And I think when I was watching it, I was like noting it, but I don't care. Like I would just, I suppressed it. I think... I I mean, I had my notebook out, so that probably heightened my... Sure. Mm-hmm. My... Analytical part of your brain. Yeah. 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 I think I just had the sense, like, I think this is a movie that no, knows what it's doing with its ideas. Like, it's actually going to do something, like an arc, like something it actually cares about. And so, you know, I'll set that uh, the other details aside of its clumsy storytelling. But well, like we were just saying, if Nicolas Cage had averted disaster or, or gotten all the people that he loved and were important to him onto the spaceship <laughs> or, or just found that actually, you know, you have to make a choice and somehow <laughs> that choice saves everything. We, we, we just wouldn't be talking about this movie because we wouldn't care. Yeah. B, all the contrived stuff we would be so hardcore dunking on because it would just be like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Blarg. The fact that this movie has a certain logic and that it follows that logic all the way to the bitter, bitter end. Yeah, it does pay for it, I think, in some some ways. Yeah, it's actually a pretty cold movie. Right. Yeah. It's like incredibly cold. And the more you go, the more you're like, you're not really going to keep being this cold. And you're like, I think it's especially that scene where she dies. Yeah. Love interest. So you're like, yeah, you don't right, get like, like he doesn't get to talk to her. You know, <laughs> you, you think like he's going to go to the hospital. They're going to exchange her some, corpse. some warm last words. <laughs> I know. It's like, dude. And then when the- I, that was, that was another really unrealistic moment. Actually, it, his kids are out there. Mm. His son is out there and he's going to stop and sit in the ambulance and talk to this woman's corpse that, that he's known movie. for that, several days. That, took that, me that, completely out. That's that, not what you do. That was dumb. That's not what you do. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, she's dead and the kids are out there somewhere. I have to go now. Mm-hmm. Like the end of the world is happening. No time for tears. Right. I. It just signaled. I mean, yeah, it's a contrivance. Yeah. But it signaled what? It signaled like he was, it, it signaled that he was completely thinking thinking of this from a different perspective now mm-hmm. like kind of a i don't know analogous to the faith in signs mm-hmm. it yeah it's not dramatically realistic but it's like yeah, it thematically realistic yeah, or yeah, whatever as a, in the movie as the part of the fable it's it, it works this movie does have two other moments where it just goes there well one specific moment where you're just like i can't believe it just did that and it's the plane crash yeah i could not believe it did that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, it, it's, it's like this is insanely horrifying realistic they brought like, the plane crash the plane down and then he just follows in 
it's it's done in one shot. He just wanders in. Yeah, There's people screaming and on fire, and you know a guy on fire who's writhing and then falls down. And it's he horrible. starts to walk in, but then he backs out and yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulls somebody it's out. Horrible. It's just like oh, I, then he drops down like he's going to do CPR, and then he just doesn't know what to do. Yeah, it yeah. But it is it is another place where the movie pays for itself because it's like how many movies have we seen that do this kind of thing, but they don't just do it. Yeah. And this movie is just like okay, we're about dis- we're, it's a movie about a girl, little girl that can predict disasters. So here's, here's a, a here's, here's a, disaster. a horrible disaster <laughs> and what it kind of what it would be like. Right. How how would you feel? Thrilled? Right. No. <laughs> Horrified. Well, and we've all seen YouTube videos and things of planes, like just when the plane goes over the highway and just crashes, it's like you can put yourself in in his shoes. It's really visceral. And the special effects in this movie are not state-of-the-art now. They're, they're a little, they they're a little bit outdated, but they're very, it's very effective the way that they're sold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was when I sort of knew I was in for something special. Not that the scene is pleasant or <laughs> uplifting or anything, but it's like, oh, okay, well, they're trying to do something here. Let's see if they pull it off. Yeah. Again, it's not like Roland Emmerich. <laughs> no. I mean, who his, his career now is disaster movies, mm-hmm. but- the moon's gonna fall. <laughs> the moon's gonna fall. Yeah, but you know what? This we're gonna, time, we're gonna build it. We're, the moon's we're... coming to us. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> what an amazing tagline! One small Just... step for the moon. <laughs> <laughs> One giant death for mankind. <laughs> <laughs> More like moonkind. <laughs> I'm sure that free will and love will save at least a remnant of humanity who will go on living happily ever after. Well, at the very least, we'll do the famous trope from the 1950s movie, When Worlds Collide, where we're going to build an arc and the drama of the movie is going to be about who gets in it. And there's going to be the evil rich guy that's, you know, wants to get in the arc and wants to keep all the poor people from getting in. And then, and then Loki and Sylvia will show up. Yeah. And... Well, exactly. Exactly. Yep. I wish. <laughs> that would be yeah. nice if Loki just came through. But you, you rarely do you see a movie where your protagonist just thoroughly ends up shut outside of the arc so <laughs> yeah i mean so recently megan and i started watching the 9-11 documentary yeah which is uh, you can watch for free on national geographic we only watched the first one but boy is it is it intensely horrific mm. and i don't i mean knowing is the closest thing in a movie to actually watching footage of incredibly horrible things happening in real time yeah like you get to see in that documentary you just you just realize Here's what this was actually like. Here's what it, here's what it felt like mm-hmm. to various sets of people. Firefighters, policemen, helicopter pilots, people hanging off the sides of the building. So, knowing is the only thing I've seen that was like, yep. what if everyone died horribly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of goes for it. I mean, that sounds like a grand statement, but I can't think of a movie uh, that does it better. I mean, I... It's, I, it's some of that coldness we're talking about. It's like... I don't know. I never saw Green Grass's United 93 or no, whatever. I didn't either. I, I didn't think I could stomach it. Yeah. But the thing about 9-11 is you read stories of, uh, you know, a guy that was in the building and then ran out, like went downstairs yeah. and got out. That's right. Um, yeah. So. Well, there's there's nothing else that evokes the judgment of God in a movie, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, that matches that final, the final scenes of knowing mm-hmm. just the earth being cleansed by fire. Mm-hmm. 
and and maybe maybe that's just that's just cheap. It's not like I want to keep rewatching Knowing or necessarily ever watch it again mm. because of that. It but it did actually <laughs> give me some thoughts about my life is short. We're all going to die. There's a judgment coming by fire, and it's just that I just like those things just popped up in my mind mm-hmm. watching that. Yeah, it's and, an effect. That, well, especially so we we started watching this movie to compare it to. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and yeah. as a comparison point to, you know, actually the universe has selected you because you're great and you deserve to go on the spaceship and, and uh, find transcendent and purpose find transcendence and meaning, and, and yeah, yep. that's why all this weird stuff is happening. So that because you're special, and you just you get you gotta love a movie that's like, yeah, weird stuff is happening, but you're not special. I mean, good thing your kid is, I guess, but yeah, yeah, I just I. I I really, I mean, this movie basically is a a third act with a bunch of stuff that gets you there, which is often how mm-hmm. horror movies and fantasy movies of yeah. this type are often either a first act and then we have to figure out like, okay, now we have a monster. What are we going to, how are we going to kill it? And we don't know and it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it, Stephen King's it, creepy clown. Okay. Now we have to do a bunch of stuff with him, I guess, but really it's just creepy clown. <laughs> Oftentimes these movies are either a first act like that or... They're a third act. Like, obviously, the the whole point of making this movie is to get you, you know, when they wrote the screenplay, I'm sure the conceit of the screenplay wasn't, what if Nicolas Cage found numbers? It was, <laughs> we have an ending. What, what if we did a disaster movie about the guy who doesn't get on a plane with John Cusack and, you know, <laughs> get out? And so, let's write our way backwards and come up with some <clears throat> stuff. We're having a, an apocalyptic event and it's aliens, but they're... You know, we've had them all along and they're angels and it's Ezekiel mm. and it's, all right, now, how do we make this feel mysterious? I know what's mysterious, numerology. Yeah. <laughs> I know another thing that's mysterious, whisper sounds. Yeah. <laughs> we could do it like a really jank Nicolas Cage thriller. <laughs> hey, I wonder if Nicolas Cage is available. <laughs> <laughs> we need a precocious kid because that'll make it really feel, Okay. All right, now we need some drama so and some emotion with this father-son relationship, but we don't want to complicate it with romance. So let's like, mom is dead and let's have a meaningful thing that we write in here and there. And Yeah, it's all pretty by the numbers, but but it's effective, I think. Yeah. I love I love where it, it goes. So Nicolas Cage is really good at it. And I, I know it's not, you know, no nobody should watch Knowing to get their theology. But much like we've talked about with Raiders of the Lost Ark before, I do like any depiction. Insofar as you can argue that it's okay to depict any of the things of God on screen, I do like it when it's done with some fearsomeness. Like yeah. the, these angels are not, I mean, if that's even what they are, and the movie is coy about that. But, you know, they're scary. They're different. They're other. They're, it, you, you know, it's not necessarily a happy thing to run into them they're not little cherubs that are like you know touched by an angel benevolent so i liked that and i liked them yeah Um, yeah it's it's rare that you get a personification of something objective and transcendent mm -hmm. yeah it's acting for humanity's good but humanity's good doesn't involve nicholas cage being happy no it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't and that's just not a thing that movies try and why would they i guess I don't know why Alex Proyas did it. <laughs> Sorry. I just had other, I just had more things pop into my head. <laughs> that you're not going to say? Well, 
how do we make this girl seem creepy? Let's have her stand by herself holding a balloon. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like the number of things like that in this movie. Uh It's, you start to stack it up. It it gets really comical (laughs) really fast. Yeah, I just like that stuff. I like whispery voices and creepy figures in the woods and little girls holding balloons on the (laughs) edges. I like autumnal photography that leeches all the color out except for some oranges and some (laughs) (laughs) I I think I like that stuff too I mean it is all it's just all stock stuff but put together by someone who can do it visually oh yeah this this movie's done by a hack there's nothing cornier than especially the opening scene with the little girl and everything yeah another creepy little girl come on oh yeah but I, I, I like creepy little girls when they're done well yeah yeah and this movie has some genuinely creepy stuff when the angel or whatever you want to call it ends up in the little boy's room and like that. Yep. That, that plays it's on a It's a ghost lot. of Christmas future scene yeah. too. That plays on so many childhood fears that I had. Just the idea of looking <laughs> yeah. out the window and seeing somebody stand in the woods. Like we had a woods yeah, that was that's... maybe half an acre away that you could look out the window mm-hmm. and just, just the idea that somebody would be standing there in the dark is it's, it's really creepy. And as a, you know, now I'm a parent, so I don't just see it from the kid's perspective. I'm like, what if somebody was taught in the room with my kid and I didn't know about it and then I figured it out? That sure would be an unpleasant experience. Yep. Hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) And they showed showed her visions of (laughs) apocalyptic future. (laughs) Terrified her out of her mind. Moose on fire. (laughs) Yeah, all that stuff. Burning alive. Yeah, it's it's awful. But I love the idea of of aliens that you know what these aliens they don't speak our language like they 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 can't communicate with us they're not interested in communicating with us they're here to do whatever they're here to do and it might seem creepy to us you know especially having just watched class encounters where everything's so maudlin and benevolent and the the alien's gonna shake hands with francois Truffaut and kind of smile at him Mm -hmm. it's like there's something very unalien about aliens who you can understand these guys they're just otherly they're just they're they're not operating on the same wavelength as we are and they don't they can drive cars though they can drive cars yeah they can come down to our level yeah they can but not enough to even like pat nicholas cage on the shoulder as they take his kids away to (laughs) bring them to paradise while (laughs) While the world burns the world burns They're just like, come along, little boy. (laughs) (laughs) And I did like the design of the spaceship. It's a little early 2000s CGI, unfortunate. But but conceptually, conceptually, it's pretty different. As the spinning wheel kind of thing. It's it's pretty cool. And then I just, again, I cannot believe that the last image of this movie is two little kids. (laughs) Running to the tree. A man man kid and a girl, a woman kid with bunny rabbits. Yes. (laughs) Here to repopulate a planet. And we're going to run in slow motion towards the tree of life. (laughs) Is that planet, I thought that planet was Earth after some time in hyperspace or something. No. Am I wrong? No. It's another planet? It's it's completely another planet. I, I I think it's left ambiguous. I mean, you do see you do see planets in the other planets in the background. Yeah, you see all kinds okay. of different like moons and things like that, and and it's all set up with the boy talking, asking the question I, yeah, about I, other I planets out that. there and other uni- uh, mm-hmm. galaxies and worlds, and yeah. how many of them are Earth like, and and then we, you know, our astrophysicist is having a philosophy class, but also we're going to talk about the distance of the sun and the and you know what it would take to have a planet that was just so and 
It's yeah. all set up to be somewhere I, else. I was oblivious to all that. It's not the cleansing of the earth. It's the destruction of it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to put those kids on the new heaven and the new earth. And That's right. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a, as a big, bold Hollywood metaphor, it, it works. Right down to those bunny rabbits. Man. Well, Ben, how many numbers? How many smooth stones? How many smooth stones out of five do you give to knowing? I'm probably just going to give it five. I don't know. I mean, all the stuff Jake is annoyed with and has brought up is fair, but it still works for me on a visceral level. Maybe I'd give it, I can't give it four and a half smooth. I can't break apart those smooth stones, Nathan. (laughs) They're unbreakably smooth. (laughs) So, I mean, I'd give it four or five. I I don't know. I, I, I I would agree with everything you said, including the fact that Jake's criticisms are entirely valid and true. And this movie is very paint by the numbers, but. On its chosen level, it just is so effective and the third act is so effective that I kind of love it. It's not the kind of movie that I'm going to go back to a whole bunch, but yeah. I'm glad I saw it. And I think that it's a it's a fun cinematic experience. So, I'll give it, sure, I'll give it five smooth zones. This is like <laughs> the most unified <laughs> giant thumbs up. <laughs> giving it to Nicholas <laughs> Cage's <laughs> <it> knowing. <laughs> It's pretty goofy of us. Oh, well. Uh, You know, as as a piece of screenwriting craft, it probably deserves two or three stones. But the the cumulative effect, I will give five stones to. Jake, how many? Three. Three stones? Yeah. So, you're like, some of it's deserving of one stone. Some of it's deserving of five stones. Split the difference. And... Yeah. And, I mean, I don't... I didn't resent it. I enjoyed watching it. I put my pin down during the third act and had fun with it. And so it's fine. It's enjoyable. I'd rather watch it again than close, co- close encounters. Oh, buddy. I would too. I would rather watch it again than close encounters. I wish, you know, if it didn't have, I, I might give it another stone. If it didn't have the, the visceral subway and plane crash scenes, not because I don't respect it for doing it, but because I could watch it with... Takes away the rewatchability, or takes away showing it to kids, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I could watch it with an older kid, apart from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think those scenes actually probably do take away the rewatchability for me, because I don't want to just be entertained by them, like mm-hmm. like an action scene. I really felt like you... I think you were really trying to capture genuine horror here and not just get a cheap thrill out of me, I think, mm-hmm. by making these scenes. And I don't really want to be inured to that. They were pretty awful to watch. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't want to be like, oh, man, that cool scene. It's so well made. Right. Coming to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that. Yeah. Well, also rewatching. The more you rewatch this movie, the more you're just going to be stuck with. Let's watch all these puzzle pieces really clunkily fall into place. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I had enough of that on the first go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, I. My 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 personal standard is in order to be a great a movie does not have to be rewatchable. I think we put too high a premium on rewatchability mm. yeah. in the streaming yeah. and home media age. Hmm. Some movies should, you know, Schindler's List. How many times do you have to watch Schindler's List to say it's an effective portrayal of the Holocaust? Exactly one. Exactly one or I might argue zero. But yeah. it's a good movie, you know. You can't really argue with the filmmaking craft behind Schindler's List. So, you know, knowing does its job and it's good. (sighs) All right. You know who else is good or what else is good? 
well, this is a who in this case. It is our patron award of awesomeness winner for today. Now, I don't know whether this person's choice was determined by a series of causal events going all the way back to the beginning of time or whether it was just <laughs> random. But I'll or whether there's kind of or whether there's purpose in the universe after all. <laughs> those, those are the same question. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing Ben will won't forgive knowing. <laughs> Stop being dumb. Like, I'm, I'm glad you had a dumb classroom scene, but <laughs> if only you had some kind of intellectual consistency in it. Well, I, I, I sort of agree. I'm like, if, if you're going to raise no, the question, you might as well do a good job. You, yeah, you, <laughs> come on, guys. Yeah. It's kind of the part of the movie that's the most for idiots. Like, uh-huh. well, they said determinism. I know that word. I learned it in you know high school philosophy class or something. <laughs> like, it's it's just one of those. This is what Jake always accuses the West Wing of being. Uh, like, sm- yeah, a smart thing. The way dumb people think, smart people talk, or something like that's that. That's right. Yep. Yeah. The New York Times and Aaron Sorkin yep. masters. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. writing the way that stupid people think, smart people talk. Right. That that mm. ca- that classroom scene was very much. This is the way stupid people think, <laughs> smart people <laughs> would have a debate. Yeah. yeah. Here's an idea. If we're at MIT, we're beyond having that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Do you guys think the universe is <laughs> deterministic? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I bet people do, though. They just have it in a, in a smarter way or yeah. something or in a more fragmentary way. I mean, you got you got a little bit of when Nicolas Cage was prancing around holding planets. It's like, OK, that's that's a teacher that a flamboyant teacher that we could all kind of enjoy. But, man, he's got to have a smarter thing than Barry. Tell me what determinism is now, Susie. <laughs> tell me what random <laughs> rattle it all off using technical terms. And then, <laughs> Professor, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were all five years pensively old. <laughs> stare off into space. Oh, uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> I can't say the line on, uh, but uh, and know. and through it all, Nicolas Cage, his performance has a through line through all the dumb stuff. Oh yeah, I no. think I think I think he does good, and then he gives you emotional closure at the end. I think he's great in this movie, and I saw an interview with him where he said one of the reasons he specifically wanted to do this movie is because California divorce law is so pro woman, and he, and he just thinks that dads don't have any faith that they can raise their sons without being goofballs, and so he's like, for real, that's there, what he said. There, there should be movies <laughs> where the dad is raising the son, and he's not a goofball. You know, I know we don't believe that that's true in California, but uh, I'm just going to, I just want to make a movie that will give me courage to raise my son. So, (laughs) I think that's kind of sweet, especially given how (laughs) completely by the numbers the father-son relationship is in this movie. Uh, Well, that's just Nicolas Cage. He didn't feel like it was by the numbers, even if it was. He he always (laughs) finds some truth for himself, for no one else. (laughs) That's kind of sweet. He's like, I haven't had a wife die on me in a material sense. I think that's what he said, but I have been divorced. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> oh, buddy. Material girl. Yeah. <laughs> He's such a goober. That <laughs> I love him. All right. And I'll tell you who else I love is Anthony D. Our patron choice award of awesomeness winner. Uh, ben, how do you feel about old Anthony D.? I feel like if if he were in a race against time to save his son and 
stop the end of the world and then realize that he had to basically accept his own death and give up his son, he would probably have the humility to make that choice. <laughs> <laughs> he might make a good choice. He might make a bad choice, but he yeah. would make the choice. Yeah. He might be humble yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. he'd be humble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, any, any thoughts about Anthony D? I'll take it one step farther. Mm-hmm. Whoa. He'd make the right choice. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Very bold, Jake. Yep. I think the D stands for determinism. <laughs> Anthony determinism. <laughs> Well, he is our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winner today. We want to thank him for supporting this fine Thanks, show. Anthony. Yep. Thanks, Thanks Anthony. Man. Or maybe we shouldn't thank him because it was just written into the universe that he would do it, and he mm-hmm. had no choice whether to do it. Mm-hmm. And the molecules were set in motion by a, the Big Bang millions of years ago, and now he's giving us money. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I like to find purpose in people giving us money, though. All right. If you want to find purpose by giving us money, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. You can listen to all kinds of fun things. Clone Wars reviews. You can listen to me and Ben talk about Star Wars visions last week. I think we're going to get Jake on to talk about those same episodes at some point and all kinds of stuff. You can hear me and Ben talk about samurai movies one, oh, yeah. one week when Jake wasn't here. And it's fun time. Fun time. Lots of lots of hours hours of bonus content and we are still going to read that spider-man treatment by james cameron one of these days when we have a little extra time to give our patreon so patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies until next time (laughs) (laughs) which memorable line i I know which line you just thought of if you just thought of one there's there's an there's an easy pull it's from the classroom scene you can't say it on mic no you can't yeah there's yeah i mean i wanted to say that the whole time yeah me too there's let's see well i can't use director krennic's joke nope well me and you together forever the very well written line designed to evoke intense emotion (laughs) from us planted in the opening scenes of the movie and so well paid off in the final moments sign language and all i just pulled up the imbd quotes page for john kessler I am the son of a pastor, you could have gone with. I could have. The caves won't save us. Nothing can. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. No, that's that's it right there. EE doesn't stand for just one person. Or, of course, the numbers are the key to everything. Uh I already gave it, so. Yeah, okay. Well, Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, folks. Goodbye. Goodbye.